This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. This is Jimmy Smith filling in on the Luke Thomas Show. And today on the podcast, I'll break down the newly announced flyweight title fight between Davis and Figueiredo and former bantamweight champion Cody Garbrandt at UFC 255. I'll talk to Factory X head coach Mark Montoya to preview UFC Vegas 6 on Brawls Deep. And I'll discuss whether Michael Chandler should make the move to the UFC if he beats Benson Henderson at Bellator 243. Catch the Luke Thomas Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation. And don't forget to send your questions to the mailbag by emailing LukeThomasShow at gmail.com. Now, I'm going to start off with an article from MMA Junkie that is a day old. Here's the headline. Davison Figueredo says Cody Garbrandt title shot would be, quote, unfair. Issues warning to flyweight contenders. Here's what we had to say about it. We want him to prove he can make 125 pounds and fight someone in my weight class. First off, for Davidson Figueredo to say, can somebody else make weight? Uh, I laughed actually out loud reading that the first time. Anyway, after that, if he wins, he can come fight me. But we don't agree with him coming down and skipping the line and going straight for the belt against me. He needs to prove he can make 125 and fight someone. It would be unfair. I want to say that again. It would be unfair if the UFC puts him straight in for the belt. I think the UFC has to respect the others that worked hard for a title shot. That is so admirable. Now, 1222 Eastern Time today, Brett Akimoto on ESPN, Davison Figueredo, Cody Garbrandt scheduled for UFC 225 along with Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Maya. Basically, both 125-pound belts on the line. And despite the unfairness, the outright robbery of putting him in front of the line, that's what's going to happen. Davison Figueredo is taking on Cody Garbrandt. Who is surprised by this? Should be nobody. What I love about this, and Mike, I want your opinion on this as a person who doesn't watch this sport for a living. When they say we, I love this, we want, that's how the, the sentence started off. We want him to prove he can make 125 pounds. Who's we? Who's, what entity is on your side that gives you any leverage about whether or not Cody Garbrandt gets a title shot? That is a fictitious we. Unless that we includes Dana White, it is useless. I love it. Like, like, like my team of attorneys feel this guy doesn't deserve a title shot. Okay, great. File a brief. File a suit. Protest outside your congressman's office. It doesn't matter what you think or what you believe is fair. You don't make the title fights. UFC makes the title fights. That's the hilarious thing to me, man. Mike, is that what you think when you read this stuff? Because that's always what I think. Like, who's we? What what leverage do you think you have? Oh, uh, as the flyweight champion, literally yeah. zero. <laughs> if there's less than zero, that's what you have as the flyweight champion of the UFC. Right. He's not a huge needle mover. He's not going to sit out. He's not going to cost them any pay-per-views. And, and I, I don't want to trash. Number one, I think Davison Figueredo is a phenomenal fighter. I think he's a great champion, right? What he did to Joseph Benavides, I, I don't recall ever seeing, and once again, I always bounce this stuff off Mike because I watch this for a living. Mike, do you ever recall, do you see the Benavides fight first off? I'm sure you did. Figueredo Benavides. Yep. Right, of course, right. Had you ever seen a performance, a, a round that one-sided. And what I mean by that is, usually, I've seen fighters in championship fights, of course, you know, you have Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo, they get clipped and that's it. All right, boom, they run into a bad punch and it's over. And I've seen longer ass whoopings, right? Cain uh, Velasquez, uh, Junior Dos Santos, that was a, a long ass whooping, one-sided fight, okay? I had never seen a one-round domination like that at the championship level before ever. I had never seen one that was long enough that it wasn't a fluke, and yet short enough that it was a complete blot at the championship level. Mike, had you ever seen that before? No. I think the closest we saw to anything even close to that was actually a losing effort like Ray Maynard, Frankie Edgar too in that first round where he just obliterated Edgar, but Edgar managed to stand up to it and then turn things around. In a dominant winning performance like that, 
Yeah, yeah figure, at that level, no. Like, obviously, I've seen it at the local level. I've seen it, you know, undercard stuff. I've seen it on the main card. I've never seen it at the championship level. So, so Figueredo deserves all the credit. He deserves to be champion. He deserves to be in the pound for pound conversation. I don't think he has that that legacy yet in terms of like a DC or something like that, or a, a, a Demetrius Johnson or a, you know anybody like that. He doesn't have that run yet. But what I will say, he deserves all the accolades in the world. He's in a weight class that just doesn't draw a lot of water. And it sucks. Demetrius Johnson, one of the greatest fighters of all time. Henry Cejudo, of course, you know, will tell you he's one of the greatest fighters of all time. But he is an outstanding fighter. Didn't get the rec- recognition until, A, a 35-er came down. TJ Dillashaw, and he blew him out of the water. Okay? Then he goes up to 35 and wins the title. Without those two things, he knows he's an- just another Demetrius Johnson. No matter what run he goes on. No matter how many fighters he beats, no matter what happens, he's just a 125-pounder, and they don't make a lot of money. They don't draw a lot of eyes. It takes that fighter who already has a name coming down to your weight class to make it work. And now he has that in front of him. So, so there are two sizes that I find interesting. The first one is you have no leverage to say, I want this guy or that guy. You just, you just don't have that. Okay. So, of course, you can come out and say whatever he needs to say. That's fine. But what I don't understand, really, is that's the big money fight. That's the only fight that gets you any pay-per-views, assuming this is, I don't know if this is a pay-per-view. If it's on free TV or on ESPN+, Plus, it gets the most views. Now, we don't know if yet if this is a main event. I'm looking at the article now. It says the, the title fights are set for UC 255. I don't know if that's the main event. If you put a, a main event on this, this could be a pay-per-view, right? Above 125 pounds. I don't know if it's a standalone pay-per-view with just these two fighters on it, but my point is, these two champions. My point is, that's the biggest fight you could make. I'm surprised he wouldn't be gung-ho for this. Right? Come on down, Cody Garbrandt. See what you can do against me, punk. Chump, I'm faster. I'm more versatile. I'm more well-rounded. My, my chin's better. Whatever he's going to say. Okay, I'm not saying all those things are accurate. I'm surprised he isn't calling him down rather than, oh, this guy doesn't deserve it. I want to fight Brandon Moreno. I want to fight Askar Askarov. Mike, are you there? I am here, sir. All right, trivia time. Who did Ansar Askarov beat in his last fight? <laughs> you have no idea. No. I, right. Uh, now, I'm not trying to clown you. I'm saying you're like, you know, like <laughs> he beat Alessandro Pantoja by decisions last fight. Great. What, dorks like me know that, <laughs> right? Dorks like me know that, okay? You know what's funny so, when you ask me? I, I'm, I mean, I, had, I knew – I knew who he fought. I couldn't get it because I'm like, I remember not expecting him to win. That's why I'm like, I know this was recent. I know it was someone good, but I can't remember who the hell it was. Right, right. You're like, I don't know. You know what I mean? So that, that's always kind of my my, my, litmus te- mis- my litmus test. I'm sorry. Is, you know, who did this person fight last? Uh, if it doesn't like leap into your brain, eh, do you really want them fighting for a title? Do you really like Brandon? I mean, I like Ansar Askarov. I like Brandon Moreno. I'm not saying they don't deserve the shot. Okay. I think Brandon Moreno des- deserves it more, but it's not a needle mover. It's not. Once again, I'm going to put Mike on the spot completely. Name three guys Demetrius Johnson beat. Three guys Demetrius Johnson Three beat. guys Demetrius Johnson beat. Benavidez. Yes. Uh, Bagotinoff. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and, one more, uh, one Ray more. Borg. Ray Borg. Right there, you go. If I asked you any other dominant, if I asked you GSP, you could rattle off five right now, right? If I asked you All Anderson right. Silva, you, you could rattle off five right now, right? Probably in ha- order. <laughs> in order, in order, right? You could do half a dozen for you know. If you think Fedor's on the Mount Rushmore, Jose Aldo's on the Mount Rushmore, I could name seven off the top of my head. Most fans could name at least four or five. You know, it's 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 you know the forgotten legacy of Demetrius Johnson. I think that that kind of taints the whole division. So, does he deserve the shot? I, I don't know if he doesn't deserve it. Meaning, he was a champion, one hundred thirty-five pounds. He is coming off a a dramatic one-shot knockout win. Um, he is extremely popular. So it's not as though, and also, his losses against T.J. Dillashaw, I think forever and ever for eternity, there's an asterisk above both of those fights. Both of those fights deserve an asterisk. Why? Probably doped. Probably doped. Do we know? No. But 
he said he was, and then, God, what do you know? He pops right afterward. Find it hard to believe that the guy wasn't juicing. So even the two losses to T.J. Dillashaw, I mean, do they, do they really sting him as bad as they did before? Is he like, oh, my guy, th- this guy's washed up? I don't know. I don't know. What I'm interested from the fans to find out. Once again, one eight seven seven fight 93 one Remember, it's Jimmy Smith, not Luke Thomas, although I do have a beard now, so I kind of, you know, maybe I'm morphing into Luke Thomas. We'll see. I'm not going to get all that here on my head. Uh, I want to know two things from you guys and gals. Okay? I want to know two things. Do you believe Cody Garbrandt deserves the shot? Do you agree with Figueredo's assessment that there were other fighters ahead of him who should get the shot? Number one. Number two, does this make you interested in the fight? Would you have watched, for argument's sake, Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno, but you won't watch him versus Cody Garbrandt? Would you not watch the Moreno fight? You would watch Cody Garbrandt? I want to know how it changes. Is it, I don't care about 125, doesn't matter. I don't care if he fights Francis Ngannou. I'm not going to watch it, right? So, Mike, what's your take on this? Now, I know you have to watch it. I have to watch it. It's our job. Um, would you, do you think as a fan have watched this fight? Uh, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't be interested in it. I, I am interested in it. It's kind of an interesting matchup. We got yeah. Garbrandt coming down in weight. So see if that, see if he still has that power trying to, I, mean, I don't know how rough a cut 125 would be for him. Uh, and then you have what looks like a destroyer in Figueredo. So it's interesting. And I get the UFC's point of view, putting it together. Like you said, there's not a really a, a, a massive guy that you want to see Figueredo fight next. So why not give him a familiar face, a former champion from a division up? And let's see if we can make this guy a bigger star in the flyweight division, get people interested. Make sure. Sense. Would you have been interested in him versus, for argument's sake, Brandon Moreno? No, not really. Is not, Like, not at all. Like, just, yeah. I mean, in the sense that it's a title fight, but beyond that, eh, I, don't, I don't think Moreno would be ready for it necessarily. That's probably why I'm not. I, I, I need to see Moreno fight a few more times before I think he's ready for a title shot. I know he's up there, but Flyweight, there's not a lot of guys right now that I'm super interested in seeing getting t- titles or not. The interesting thing is this is one of the interesting things. This fight is on the same card as Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Maya, which is in a similar position, right? Valentina Shevchenko versus somebody, right? That's where Figueredo would be at 125. Is, all right, Brandon Moreno. All right, Ansar Askarov. All right, uh... Alexandre Pantoja, should he get another win? You start doing that, right? You start making that voice. Uh, this guy, I don't know. This is the one that makes the most sense. This is the one that, that, that you know, will get fans. I don't know if they'll get him rah-rah about 125. Um, I don't know if that's ever good. If, if you didn't get excited about Demetrius Johnson wrecking everybody in the division, um, will you get excited about this? I don't know. Um when I was doing my other job for, for ESPN the week after the Figueredo fight, you know, my co-host goes, man, is, are, is it back? And da da da. Is 125 back? And I went, well, 125 is in the same position it was before. They have a dominant champion in Davis and Figueredo. And, and we, obviously we don't know how long he'll run, if he'll be another DJ or what the deal is. But he had a dominant performance against Benavidez. Building up the division has been hard. This doesn't help that. Right? This doesn't help that. That's the issue. This doesn't help the division. Bringing in a ringer from 135 doesn't help the 125 by division. You get people get eyes on this fight, and it may get eyes on Figueredo, but it doesn't bring up the division. You're, you're acknowledging the division is weak. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the Sirius XM app and Apple Podcasts. Another fight card is on the horizon, and Luke Thomas has one mission before the fighters meet in the cage. I want you guys to listen to this show, and I want you to be better informed as a fight fan. So he's reached out to some of the fight game's greatest minds to help give the expert analysis you deserve. That's called a quarter blood technique. You do that, a quarter blood will drop out of person's body. They'll pull back the curtain on the strategies you'll likely see, so you'll be ready for fight night. I want to need you to stop watching my fights and give him my game time to it. It's time to go broad. Balls deep. 
Here's your host, Jimmy Smith. Yo, yo, Luke Thomas brings you the greatest names in fighting to break down fights, to tell us the technique, maybe every now and then give us some predictions, but Jimmy Smith is hosting, so you get Mark Montoya, right? I, I kick it up a notch. How you doing, Mark? Uh, you know what, Jimmy? I think we just lost them, so we're going to get the ball back right now. I yep. just, you know what? I, I, I feel like I give and I give and I give to you, Mike. I tee you up perfectly, and boom, you drop the ball on me. It hurts. It hurts right here. I can't. I, I can't handle what the uh, what the phone lines do these days. It's cell phones. What are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do with the kids these days? And stuff? But Mark Montoya, we had him online for a second. Hopefully he will come back soon. Mark Montoya, of course, from Factory X. Um, and I say every time he's on Luke's show, it was my idea to bring the guy in the first place. And now he's like a regular. And it was like, oh, that was my idea. It's totally my idea to bring Mark Montoya on. I actually had to fight you guys a little bit. You're like, oh, who's Mark Montoya? I'm like, dude, Mark Montoya, Factory X, nobody. Because uh, people don't understand when you're – at a fight, when you're at a, an event, whatever it is, and you have any background in fighting, all you're surrounded by is other fighters and other coaches. So the one fallback thing to talk about is fight technique and predictions. So you get to know who knows about fighting and who is, you know, talking just to talk. And you find out pretty quickly that Mark Montoya is a guy who knows a hell of a lot about fighting. So, And you know what? We have the, man, we have the gentleman on the line now. Mark, you there, bro? Mark? What's up? What's up, my man? How you doing, dude? Jimmy, how are you, bro? Good to hear from you, man. Sorry I got disconnected. I don't know what happened. No, nah, man, that happens sometimes. I appreciate you 100%. Um, very interesting card this weekend, man. Of course, Derek Lewis versus Alexi Olenek in the main event. Uh, Omari Akhmedov versus Chris Weidman. I got to ask you about that one in a minute. Darren Stewart versus Maki Patolo, two very hard-hitting middleweights. Yuliana Stolyarenko versus Yana Kudinskaya at 135 pounds, both Invicta alumni. And then... Benil Daryush versus Scott Holtzman. Of course, Benil Daryush, one of the most consistent names at 170 pounds versus Scott Holtzman. Um, let's start with the main event. Derek Lewis versus Alexi Olenek. A lot of people see this as, as you know, striker versus grappler, a real contrast in styles. Are they not looking deep enough into this fight? Uh, I'll tell you what, Olenek has uh, got one hell of a chin. That's the thing about Olenek is he's got – He's got a really good chin. His striking, obviously, is, you know, if you look at it technically and you're like, wow, you're not going to say, wow, he's the most technical striker ever. But I'll tell you, let's keep coming forward. And Lewis has been, in the past, you've seen him get taken down. And I think if, if Olenek takes him down, I think it's a wrap in that fight because uh, Olenek is crazy good pressure on top. And his submission games are obviously slick. Uh, so... That that piece there is there. One of the fights I always hate going into as a coach is when you have one chance to win. And I feel like Derek Lewis has one chance to win. I mean, could he knock him out? Yeah, he could. He could do what Walt Harris did to him and, and knock him out. But, man, I hate going into a fight when you only have one chance to win like that. Yeah, it's terrible. The, the, the weird thing is, is that Derek Lewis, you look at his build, you look at his gut, you look at, you talk to him about training, and he's not really that into it. But his gas tank is right. weird. A lot of fighters wear themselves out trying to take Derek Lewis down. He leans on him, he puts pressure on him, and pretty soon they wear out, and the fat guy ends up getting the knockout. One thing about Alexi Olenek, he doesn't have that Division One wrestling background, he doesn't have a real slick takedown. Could he spend just a little too much gas trying to take Derek Lewis down? Do you think that might be a factor? Uh, yeah, I think that's a factor in any fight. I, I think whether it's heavyweights or or you know flyweight, I, I think I think the efficiency of that has to be crisp and 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 he has to be efficient in doing so, so that he could then work on the ground. I know that uh, I know that Olenek is is absolutely someone that's methodical when it comes to his his pressure and submission game on the ground. So. You would think that the second he would take him down, he would control position and allow himself to work to where he's best, and that's you know submit guys. So, yeah, I think that's what I said earlier. Is Derek could, Derek's chances to obviously get him tired and knock him out. I think that that would be the strategy on, in Derek's camp. Is, is that the, the question is is what what is Derek Lewis' gas tank like? Is is carrying Olenek's weight on the cage going to wear him down, take his legs away, and take some of his power away? Uh, you know, so 
and like you said, Jimmy, he he's not a he's not a huge fan of of the training piece. I mean, he came in. I think he weighed what two two sixty five, so he was right at the uh, or two sixty six, something like that. He was right at the minimum this morning at weigh-ins uh, of hitting the weight class. So uh, that would say to me, he probably had to cut some weight. Oh, more than likely, yeah. He's a big heavyweight. But one of the things about Derek Lewis is we've all seen those guys in the gym who look like they'd be easy to hold or like, oh, my God, this guy doesn't have the technique to really get him. If you, if you asked him to show me a, a – uh, uh, armbar from guard. Derek Lewis probably doesn't even know how to do it, but he has this weird ability <laughs> to sit up in weird positions and scramble and get up. Doesn't use any of the technique escapes that you know they teach you your first day in jujitsu, but he somehow gets out of bad position all the time. How do you prepare for a guy like that in the gym? Well, I, I think that athleticism is is how you prepare. As you go find whether it's your inside of your team, uh, other athletes that are, that are heavyweights that have that type of athleticism, or you go bring someone in that has that type of athleticism so that all next condition to do that with Derek. I mean, he, he's obviously got to stop the takedown. So, you know, there, I'm assuming they, in the time they have trained, they've worked on stopping the takedown and benefiting from that and making all next hired, you know him having flat feet, and and then capitalizing on it. But you know he's got to put away. I mean, Walt did it easily. He made it look easy, I should say, in the first. But man, I, I think that's an exception to the rule when it comes to him. So it's a really interesting fight. It's interesting. It's an interesting matchup, and that's that's why the UFC is one of the obviously the best promotion in the world because they they put together those type of matchups. Now, let's move on to the co-main event. Now, when I looked at this card, this is really the fight that, that I would spend the most time thinking about. I think it has the biggest consequences. Omari Akhmedov versus Chris Weidman. Weidman, the former champion, has lost five out of his last six by brutal knockout. Brutal knockout. Akhmedov, 5-0-1 in his last six in the UFC. All of them decisions. Not necessarily a power puncher. Uh, Ian Heinish was uh, his last win in the octagon. I know you know Ian well. Train him. What are your thoughts on this fight? What are the consequences for Chris Weidman in this fight? Well, I think with Chris, he's going down a weight class again, going back to where he had a lot of success, which was at 185. The question is, does the the cut affect him? Does the cut affect his his chin at all? And then also, um, the... Uh, just, you know, he's had some tough losses. I guess the one thing I would say, though, is with Chris's losses, uh, in a lot of those losses, he was winning. <clears throat> and so if you if you rewind all the way back to where he fought well, he was winning that fight. He just, he just went to the well a little bit too often in the sense of hitting that single, and well is so athletic that he clipped him with that knee. And so yeah, a lot of his losses, he was actually winning. So there, there is a lot of positive to take out of that, especially if you're his coaching staff and you go back and say, hey, man, out of these losses, you know, you were winning most of these. Here's some things we need to button up and tighten up. Now, the, the chin part is always a question. You don't know, especially as they, get, as they get later in their career and then they sustain some of these knockouts. Those are always the unforeseen things you have no clue about. But, uh, Omari, uh, I've, I've uh, we've fought Omari twice, and we've actually lost to him twice. Zach Cummings fought him, and Ian Heinish fought him. And both times when we had that matchup, I actually liked the matchup for our fighters. And Omari proved us wrong and 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 beat us. And and you know, hats off to him, credit to him. He he has really good timing with his takedowns. Now, Weidman is a, obviously a really good wrestler, so um, he he that might pose an issue for. Omari, but I know people say Omari doesn't have a lot of power. I wouldn't say he's like the most powerful puncher in the division in that weight class, but he's got pretty decent pop. I mean, he could he could absolutely uh, try to fit in and, and take Weidman down and off of that using those feints and then come over and, and clip Weidman potentially. That's something he could do. I'm not, I'm not saying that's what he's exactly known for, but uh, he's won some really tough fights. He's beaten like two of my kids that are really good. He's he beaten both of them. And I, should, I say kids all the time, Jimmy. Um, uh, but, you know, those young men are, uh, are, are excellent fighters. So it, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's an interesting matchup because 
Omari's on this crazy streak, winning streak, and Weidman's not. But man, if you see any flashes of brilliance from Weidman, like we've like we've seen in the past, even in the fights that he's lost, I think he he gives Omari a tough night potentially. As a coach, I I know it's an uncomfortable conversation. It's not something you want to deal with. You have a fighter like Chris Weidman, okay? Five out of six, not just losses, but brutal knockouts. As you said, fights, a lot of times he was winning. Fights that were at least competitive, except for uh, his last venture at 205 against Dominic Reyes. So there are bright spots to look at. But should he lose this fight, and especially lose in dominant fashion, you got to wonder if his UFC career is over, if his MMA career is over. Have you ever had to have that conversation with a fighter where you had to sit him down and go, hey, look, where are you going to go from here? Is this something you want to continue doing? Have you had to have that conversation? And how do you approach that, man? It's got to be tough. Yeah, Jimmy, that's, uh, that's the toughest conversation I have as a coach. And, and this is my third wave of fighters actually retiring as, as me being their head coach. And, yeah, unfortunately and fortunately, I've had that conversation a good amount of times. And, you know, it's never an easy conversation. And to be honest with you, it never really ends that well because the fighter in the fighter's mind, you know, their mind still tells them they can do that. They still seek that rush. I mean, Jimmy, you fought, you understand. Yeah. I'm sure there's days where you wake up and you're like, man, I want to fight today. I'd, I'd love to fight today. And so you always have that in your head, especially when you reach the pinnacle of of what Weidman's uh, done. And so I've had that conversation a lot. And when I said it, it, it's, it doesn't end that well, it's because um, ultimately you're telling someone they're done with something they worked so hard through their entire life for. And you're, you're, you're the guy delivering the message saying, Hey, you know what, for your own good, for your family's own good, you should shut this down and move to other pastures no one, no one in their right mind enjoys that conversation, and no, nobody leaves that conversation with big smiles. Like, oh, thank you, Coach. I appreciate you having that conversation. Now, in time, it comes around to, hey, Coach, that was the right decision. But for a little while, there, it's just it's a it's a very uncomfortable conversation. It's it's hard to tell anybody you got to quit doing what you love to do at that type of level. So, would that conversation need to happen? Um, I, I'm not in that room with Weidman, so I don't right. I don't know all the circumstances. But you would assume that there has to be some conversations about that if, in fact, he were, he were to not win on Saturday. Mark, I don't just appreciate your technique breakdowns. I appreciate your insight as a coach, especially, man, those hard conversations I know you've had to have. Thank you so much for joining us, man. I hope you enjoy this weekend. Jimmy, I appreciate you, bro. Keep doing great things. I miss seeing you on the road, man. Um, hopefully one of these days we reconnect again and uh, I watch you do what you do best and get in front of that damn microphone and talk some shit and tell people what's up. <laughs> I appreciate you, brother, like no other, man. Mark Montoya, Factory X, you're my boy. Hope to get out there on the road soon and, and, and see you again. Uh, for those that, that, you know, like I said, who, who don't understand what it's like being on the road with a promotion and, and you know, I've worked for Bellator, UFC, M1, uh, I've been all over the place. You meet guys like Mark and you just, you sit down, you, you geek out about fighting and you dork out about fighting and you talk about fighting and you break down fighting and you really get into the nuts and bolts of this business and this sport and the best conversations I ever had on the road. We're with guys like Mark Montoya, guys like Dean Thomas, guys who have been in the game, you know, Mike Brown, who, who, who know it in and out and love it and understand it. So the great thing about doing Luke's show and doing Brawl's Deep is I get to have those conversations again. And I very much appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate people like Mark Montoya who can really, really, really give you the truth and break it down. You can hear every MLB game on Sirius XM. Season, you can't afford to miss a single pitch. Every at bat matters. And in a season unlike any other, you need MLB Network Radio's experts more than ever. You've got new rules, which means new strategy, which means new chaos. Join the conversation on Sirius 209 XM 89. Every game through the last out of the World Series is on Sirius XM and the Sirius XM app. Michael Chandler, of course, taking on Benson Henderson tonight in Bellator. Um, 
a rematch of a fight that I called that I thought, you know, he won decisively, won the first three rounds. Henderson, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Henderson won the last two. That's how I saw that fight going down. It was a decision, and Chandler won. Now, Chandler, for years, has been kind of the golden boy of Bellator. Uh, Multiple-time champion, 155 pounds. He came out of really nowhere to beat Eddie Alvarez to take the title from him. Eddie Alvarez had much more experience. He was the heavy favorite. He beats Eddie Alvarez, wins a 155-pound title, defends it a couple times, loses it to Eddie Alvarez, lost to Will Brooks a couple times. He's had his ups and downs in the promotion, but he's always been. If you could name one fighter on Bellator's roster, it was usually Michael Chandler. Now, this fight on Friday is his last one under his Bellator contract. The big question, should he win or should he lose? And I would say he's the favorite to win right now. Could he be headed to the UFC? What would his fit in the UFC be like? Do you believe he's competitive? Does he fight for a title? Or does he get fed to the Wolves? Is he an also-ran in the UFC? After the break, I want to hear from the fans. Once again, one eight seven seven fight 93 1-877-344-4893. So, how much how much Bellator, Mike, do you watch? Is it do you catch every single one? Do you only catch the biggies? What's the deal? Generally speaking, I will watch when it's live. Other times, I, I maybe, maybe I go out. Especially because they're usually doing stuff on Friday nights. So maybe I just catch it on Saturday or Sunday. I usually watch the events, though, for Bellator. Okay. What's your opinion, being a, you know, a, a casual Bellator fan, what's your opinion of Mike Ch- Michael Chandler and his abilities? He's had some spots where he – Looked like he underperformed here and there, but for the most part, the guy's an animal. He tends to get clipped a little bit, but he's still very, very good. I don't know exactly what his UFC ceiling is, but I think he could do fairly okay in the UFC. I I don't know if he wins the title, but I think he'd do okay. Here's the issue for me. Um, And remember, I've been watching Michael Chandler literally since his Bellator debut. All the way till now. I've called most of his fights in Bellator. Not all of them, obviously. But the issue for me is few fighters have the skill set of Michael Chandler. All-American wrestler at the University of Missouri. uh, Hits like you stole something from him. Very explosive. Very athletic. Very powerful. He makes, in my opinion, really terrible decisions in fights. And one of the reasons that his career has always been two steps forward, one step back is because of those decisions, especially when it comes to pacing. The guy comes out way too strong and has to hang on at the end. The first Henderson fight is the perfect example of that. He came out blazing, demolished Henderson in the first round, but couldn't finish him. Uh, By the middle of round three, he starts running out of gas big time. And has to essentially hang on in round five to not get finished. If you look at the suplex against Benson Henderson, which is in every highlight for Michael Chandler, they put the suplex in every, uh, you know, Bellator highlight, everyone talking about this fight. I've seen that suplex 15 times. You were a wrestler, Mike, right? I'm not wrong with that. You were a wrestler. You're correct. Yep. How many times have you seen guys suplexed in freestyle? (laughs) <laughs> oh, in freestyle, I mean, you'll see it actually a fair amount, but like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see it a fair amount, right? In freestyle, if yeah. you don't understand that. How many times does it knock somebody out? Almost never that I've seen. Yeah, maybe once in all the years of somebody lands wrong and gets knocked out. But it costs you a ton of energy. It looks great. It looks amazing. In, in freestyle, it's five-point throw. It's worth it. In MMA, it's not worth it at all. And he bridged full five-point suplex against Benson Anderson. In the, I believe that in the first round. And to me, that's, that's a perfect picture of his poor decision-making during fights where suplexes don't do that much damage. They cost you a ton of energy. Hitting a guy hurts a lot more than suplexing him and doesn't cost you anything in terms of power. But Chandler chose the big, flashy move over the more efficient move. And... He tends to do that. He tends to start fast. And then uh, Brent Primus is when he won back the title against Brent Primus. Same thing. He was beating Brent Primus first three rounds and he started running out of gas. Now he, he was able to save more in the tank than, you know, for example, the second Eddie Alvarez fight where Eddie came back and won. 
But he's always had problems pacing himself. He bounces around, jumps around, uses a bunch of energy, and has to hang on late. Also, against Patricio Pitbull, who is one of mentally one of the strongest fighters I've ever dealt with. But when, the, when Patricio took his title at 55, there are two ways Patricio Pitbull can beat you if you're Michael Chandler. A firefight, because he's a very hard puncher, and he has an amazing guillotine. If I'm Michael Chandler's coach, and I'm not sure what they told him, but what I would have told him is, don't get in a firefight with this guy, especially early, and don't hit a sloppy double leg that's going to leave your neck exposed for a guillotine. That's it! You're bigger, you're stronger, you're the better wrestler, you have all the physical tools to win. Just don't get in a firefight early. Don't try to man up and puff your chest out with Patricio Pitbull. The guy hits really hard, especially for his size. And what happens? Chandler gets in a firefight early against Patricio Pitbull and gets knocked out. He did one of two things that could cost him that fight. He did it. Chandler has all the skills to be competitive in the UFC. The pro- he has two problems. Number one, he tends to, as I said, make bad choices. He tends to do things that are inefficient. He tends to do things that, to me, look ego-driven. He didn't have to stand and trade with Patricio Pitbull. He didn't like the guy. They don't like one another. And it looked to me like he let his ego get the best of him and made a poor tactical decision, and it cost him. He always fights like he can knock you out in the first round. And with all the struggles, the first Eddie Alvarez fight and the two losses to Will Brooks should have taught him you can't do that to everybody. You can't. Guys are going to be around in those final rounds if they're talented, if they're elite. And he just didn't learn those lessons when he could have. And it's cost him recently. Guess Patricia Pibble went out to knock him out in the first round and Patricia Pibble knocked him out. So I don't think he, he lacks the skill set to really do well in the UFC, especially at 155 if there aren't many great wrestlers. And Michael Chandler, an All-American, is a great wrestler. He has a skill set that is, that is lacking at, at 155 pounds in the UFC. But all the guys in the top 10, 155 pounds, are battle-tested. They are great fighters. They will not be blown away by your dazzling overhand right. They're not going to be shell-shocked by your opening combination, your opening blitz, okay? It's not going to catch these guys. Might hurt them. Might back them up. They're going to be there in round five. They're going to be there late round three. So that's, yes, not, it's not that he doesn't have the skill set. It's, it's I, don't, I don't know what it is. It's his tendency to, I, I think, in many ways, fight with his ego. That doesn't work against a talent he's going to face in the UFC. Secondly, they're not going to do him any favors. I just talk, talked about, you know, the UFC's managing fighters, managing careers, however you want to put it. They're not going to manage Michael Chandler. Eddie Alvarez's UFC debut after losing Bellator was Cowboy Cerrone, right? Cowboy Cerrone. That was the first fight he had. They said, okay, you want to come from Bellator? You want to be a champion? Okay. Welcome to the UFC, son. They're not going to give you any easy fights. Then it was Gilbert Melendez, Anthony Pettis, Rafael Dos Anjos. It was ridiculous what that guy went through. He went through a murderer's row. Ended up winning the title. That's great, but there are no softballs in there. There's no getting to know you in the UFC. So should Chandler come to the UFC, he's going to get the the, the toughest fighter they can possibly give him. They're going to give him the worst matchup they possibly can to show that a quote-unquote Bellator fighter doesn't belong there. Whatever, however you want to put it. So those are the two things that kind of work against him. Also, I mean, is he being taken care of in Bellator? If there's one guy you would imagine they would kind of open up the pocketbook for and, 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 and really make the, the effort to keep, it would be Michael Chandler. But I don't know if you're following the ratings and following what's going on. Bellator's first show back did not do well. 74th in terms of ratings on cable. So do they have the capital to really keep the guy? I mean, I, I, I hope so. I'd like to think they could make a competitive offer. But, you know, they have some decisions to make in their future. We don't know if the, the zone deal is going to continue. From one, Obviously, what everybody's hearing, it probably will not. 
Um, Paramount Network, okay. Uh, Paramount is not a sports network. I don't know if Bellator is really the right home for them. They're going to be searching for another network. So can Bellator afford to keep him? Is the UFC really willing to make a great offer when they already have a division that's so stacked that, you know, guys are getting, are waiting on fights and all this stuff because 55 is so deep. They don't need another great 155 pounder, right? But he'd be a nice addition. There'd be some really, really interesting fights for him. So there's so many X factors with this. So many ways to go. And that's if he beats Henderson. You know, Henderson might beat him and, and derail all this. You don't know. We've seen crazier things happen. Mike and I are going to play a little game. All right. Mike, you ready? Is your, is, your game, is your brain all zen? Are you ready to go? My brain is zen. Zen. Okay. Pull up the UFC rankings, the top 15. All right. I got them. I want you to throw me a name, and I will break down the fight for you and tell you how I think Michael, Ch- Michael Chandler does against that opponent. You ready? All right. So all right. let's actually Take start it. with the guys who are active here. So yes. let's go with number seven, Paul Felder. Ooh, number seven, Paul Felder. Um, I think he would be the favorite against Paul Felder uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, Paul Felder likes to stand and bang. He tends to stand and bang a little tall. That makes him vulnerable to a guy like Michael Chandler, who has a really nice double leg. Also, Mike does like to stand and bang himself and will take advantage of a, a slightly taller opponent. Um Paul Felder, I think, love Paul Felder. He's been through some wars. His best days are probably behind him. Uh, if the UFC wanted to, I don't want to say do Michael Chandler some favors because I, I don't think it's an easy fight, but I think it's the most winnable fight against a name fighter off right off the get-go for Michael Chandler would be Paul Felder. All right, so then we move up to number six. And this one's an interesting one. Charles Oliveira. Woo, that would be tough. That would be very tough. The issue with that is if you look at um, Goichi Amuchi, who is in Bellator at 155 pounds, he beat Goichi Amuchi, who has that tricky, really, really aggressive submission game, just like Oliveira. Um, Chandler definitely out-wrestles him. The question is, with that fight is, if Chandler fights him in a three-rounder, I think he wins. If he fights him in a five-rounder, he might run out of gas late and get submitted, right? Because... Oliveira, very, very tricky. But the problem is, under duress, under physical pressure, Oliveira, especially earlier on in his career, if you look at Paul Felder fights, for example, he tends to check out under physical pressure. He tends to check out when he really takes a hard shot. And Chandler's explosiveness early might be a problem. That might get him in trouble. Oliveira's in guard, working for submission, takes some vicious ground and pound, which is what Chandler's really good at. And it looks kind of like the Felder fight. Takes a bad elbow and kind of curls up and it's over. Um, the issue is if Chandler runs out of gate, uh, if Chandler runs out of gas late and gives Oliver a chance to get back into it tactically late, that could be an issue for him. I would lean toward Michael Chandler with that one. All right, then we move to number five, Dan Hooker. That's a tough one. That is very tough because. Uh, Hooker's used to explosive guys. He's used to guys who come in with a a hard right hand and good combinations. He's a tricky striker. He angles very, very well. Uh, Good takedown defense. Accurate. Has taken on some of the best names. Good volume. Brings physical pressure. Wears you down pretty well. You saw his accuracy um, against Gilbert Burns, a guy who's going to be fighting for the title of 170 pounds, knocked him out. I think that's a bad fight for Michael Chandler. I think Michael Chandler goes out there, tries to strike with him, and gets pieced up on the feet against Dan Hooker. I don't think that's a good fight for him. Well, we move to number four, and this is always intriguing because <laughs> I'm sure certain people will say one thing, certain people will say another. Uh, Conor McGregor. Oh, okay. Um, on one side, his kryptonite has been the takedown in the ground game. Okay, we saw... Uh, of course, Khabib worked that very, very well against Connor. But Connor's also pinpoint accurate with his strikes. A guy like Michael Chandler, who tends to leap in, tends to explode a lot, tends to cover a lot of ground with his punches, wouldn't surprise me at all if you walked into a hard shot from Connor McGregor early. It also wouldn't surprise me if Chandler just went to out wrestle him ad nauseum and ended up winning enough rounds to, to, to win that fight. He doesn't have the 
the kind of blanket pressure of Khabib. Khabib has a great takedown, but Khabib also has is once he's on top of you, it's like a rhino sitting on you. Chandler, much more explosive. He's very, very strong. He doesn't bring that kind of like suffocating top pressure that Khabib brings. So I would actually lean toward Connor in that. Um, but if Chandler out wrestled him and really stayed disciplined and, and as I said earlier, that's been the issue I think throughout his career is his ability to kind of stay disciplined and stay with the game plan. If he went with a takedown centric game plan, I think he can beat Connor. Uh, problem is I don't see him doing that. If he took on Connor McGregor and let's just say in this fantasy world that that's his debut in the UFC is Michael Chandler versus Connor McGregor. He'd try to knock Connor McGregor out. That's how Michael Chandler thinks. I'm going to knock this dude out. I'm going to prove I'm number one. Da da da. Knock this guy's head into the third row. I think he would get into a striking battle and lose it. I think if he stuck to his wrestling, he has the skills to win. And the contradiction of what I'm saying against uh, Conor McGregor, where if he fought smart, he wins, but I don't think he fights smart. That to me is his whole fight career in a nutshell. His whole, if he fights smart, I think he can beat a lot of these guys. But I don't see him doing that. I think if he fought Conor McGregor, he would go, I'm going to show how great I am and knock this guy out. And, you know, much like Dan Hooker, I think his accuracy would be too much for him. All right. Well, that brings us to number three. And this will be interesting considering to see what kind of shape he's in when he comes back after that Justin Gaethje fight. But number three is El Kakui, Tony Ferguson. How does Michael Chandler do? I I really believe that Chandler beats the piss out of him early, but he just stays with it, doesn't go down, and gets it back in in the the fourth and fifth round. He is exactly the wrong kind of guy to fight if you have issues with your gas. And Chandler has not gas. Gas and pacing are two different things. He starts with plenty of gas. He just spends it at the wrong time. I think Tony Ferguson is the worst style matchup for him in that regard. In that he can take a, a beating and come back in the fourth and fifth round with some crazy submission, catch your neck, uh, press forward with strikes and hurt you. I think that's what happens. I think Chandler wins early, loses late. All right. That brings us to number two, Dustin Poirier. Wow, that'd be a great fight. Um, I think Poirier does pretty much what I just described with Tony Ferguson, where Poirier can take a shot. And Poirier's tough. And Poirier will... You know, maybe get taken down early or maybe a problem in the first couple rounds, but then he just stays with it and keeps on keeping on and wears Chandler down. Another bad style matchup for him. I think he loses that one late. That brings us to number one, Justin Gaethje. He doesn't beat Gaethje. And remember, they're both All-Americans, okay? Chandler, I believe, took fifth at the University of Missouri. Um, Gaethje took seventh. I think he was at South Dakota State or something. So their, their wrestling's comparable, right? They both did about the same thing. God, Gaethje just has more power than Michael Chandler. The, the thing Michael Chandler has is equalizer. His guy has got a, a vicious right hand when it comes to stand-up. He really does have power. Gaethje has more power. We've seen what G- Gaethje can do against the best of the best of the best. And every time it's stop your takedown and knock you out. And I don't think this fight would be any different. I think, I think uh, Chandler tests his power against Gaethje. And Gaethje shows that he's the more powerful puncher. Bad matchup for him. Side question to that. Do you, is, this, uh, is this just based on Justin Gaethje 2.0? Or do you think he'd have a better shot of beating the Gaethje who fought uh, Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier? He would have a better shot against that Justin Gaethje. That Justin Gaethje is gone. Gone. And I think that's something that, that when you break down Justin Gaethje, you talk about Justin Gaethje from this point on. This is a guy who fought his game plan to a T against Tony Ferguson to it. Beautiful. That was not what this guy did, did early on in his MMA career. The, the guy who just went out there and just swung big punches until somebody went down and that's how I roll. And, you know, I don't care if I get knocked out. That guy is gone. That guy is gone. That guy beats Michael Chandler. The old guy who went running into either a double leg or a, a hard right hand. Yeah. Chandler has a chance against that guy. I think a good chance. But this new Justin Gaethje, I think he beats Khabib. I'll go that far. I think he beats Khabib. Now, obviously, I'll break it down as it gets closer. But right now, I think Justin Gaethje is your next champion at 155 pounds. So he's just, in my opinion right now, better than Michael Chandler. All right. Well, speaking of beating Khabib, 
he's the last one left. Obviously, we know maybe maybe he'd have some problems with some of the contenders, but Styles make fights. How does Michael Chandler do against Khabib Nurmagomedov? I think it's boring in the beginning as both guys both guys kind of stand up, both guys test the takedown, but they're both good wrestlers. And Khabib has no issues late in fights. He seems to live. I, I don't think he takes Chandler down. I really don't. I think he spends a lot of gas trying to take Chandler down early. I think Chandler spends a lot of gas trying to knock him out early. But those late fourth and fifth rounds that have been the kryptonite for Michael Chandler, I think that dogs him in his UFC career. And I think Khabib, although we have an even fight early on, I think Khabib starts pulling away in rounds four and five in the championship rounds. And unless he gets over that, and we'll see. I think this Henderson fight will tell us a lot. If we see a guy who is very composed and does well fourth or fifth round, I will change a lot of these predictions. But that issue of I, I spend gas early and I don't have any late, you cannot do that against elite fighters. You can't do it. You're not going to blow guys away early. And, and look at the, the records of a lot of UFC fighters, okay? Shabazian's a great example. Knocking guys out, knocking guys out, knocking guys out. Gets to Brunson and it's like, oh, wait, this guy is still here. It's the end of round two. Oh, crap. And everything went downhill. And that happens a lot with fighters who have, you know, a lot of first round knockouts. They get to the UFC. Maybe it continues for a little bit. Then they get to the elite level and it's like, oh, crap. I haven't seen the third round in how long? I've never seen the fourth round. Crap, this is a different game. It's a different world. It catches up to a lot of fighters in the UFC. I think it catches up to Michael Chandler. And so I want to see tonight if he's learned those lessons and fights a composed fight. If he does, you know, maybe I'll feel different about his his UFC chances. But what I believe about the fighters I just told about the fighters you just you know listed off, he can beat a couple of them. But the elite of the elite. They test that ability. They test that pacing. They test that fight IQ because they have it in spades having gone through this division. All these guys are battle tested. There are no softballs. And that is absolutely it. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.